It's good to see everyone. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, all the above. I uh, haven't had a chance to see a lot of people. My daughter came to town Christmas Eve. I got home Christmas Eve service, and she had 102 fever and tested with COVID. So we spent, you know, quite a uh, the next several days in the house and away from everybody. So that's why you haven't seen me. But everybody's healthy now and home and and good. We, you know, fortunately didn't uh, didn't get it again. So, and I know we've got several people right now who are battling illnesses, so just continue to keep one another in prayer. But it's a, it's a good morning to be together, isn't it? We, we, um, we're doing the book of Jonah, and uh, last night, you know, there was the storm that kicks up uh, in the book of Jonah, and Jonah goes to sleep in the middle of it, and uh, um, it's, it's, all, it's all because he wasn't... Um, doing what God wanted him to do. So last night, uh, about 1230, I, I woke up and there's this massive storm going on and I've got Jonah going around in my head. I'm going, all right, Lord, what is it? Didn't I do, you know? <laughs> and what, um, you know, are you, am I, should I be looking for a giant fish next? So uh, how many heard the, the message last week? I mean, heard the message so uh, the reason why I'm asking that is I'm responding to something. Pastor Zeke, you know, kind of threw me under the bus last week, right? For, for those that were here heard, he's like, okay, so what, what, what about this Jonah getting swallowed by a fish? What about, you know, taking three days to go through Nineveh? And what about this plant that grew up in a day and then died? And uh, so he said, Pastor Mark will answer all that. So answer number one, yes, there was a great fish that actually happened. We're going to talk about that today. Number two, Nineveh, uh, there was a region of Nineveh as well as a city. The region was much larger than the city. Plus, when a foreigner would go to the city, there was a three-day process. Number three, it's, you know, it's not a big deal about the plant. If God can resurrect Jesus, he can resurrect a plant, right? So thank you, Pastor Zeke, for giving me the easy ones. <clears throat> Anybody could have done that. <laughs> um, what we're going to do this morning, uh, and, you know, uh, <laughs> as it would have it, I sent, the, sent my slides this morning, but they didn't go through. So uh, we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. We're going to actually open up the scriptures. Oh, you got them. Oh, we're good to go. All right. Th thank you, thank you. So the Fishers actually brought my computer in. That's what I was doing back there when we were trying to get the slides all up and going. So we have a miracle of resurrection of the slides this morning. All right. So this morning what we're going to do is the subject is this. Remember your faith. The world depends on it. Remember your faith. The world depends on it. And where we're, where we're going to go, I'm going to look at the first chapter of Jonah. And, and then we're going to say, what does Jesus say about that? There's something particular at the end of the chapter. What does Jesus say about that? And, and why does that matter in our culture today? Why does that matter today in our culture? That's where we're going to go. And this is what I'm going to ask you at the end of this. Are you running from God? Is there, some, is, there, is there some reason you don't want the message of the gospel to get out? Is there something you'd rather see God judge the world than to bring his salvation, his peace? Are you ignoring the signs he's giving you? Have you put yourself to sleep to him calling you? To the mission he's given you and what will it take to wake you up a giant fish so that's what i'm going to ask you when we're over with that's where we're going to go all right so chapter one let's go in we're going to we're going to look at the story here and um of what's happening here this is uh, jonah chapter one verse one 
Now, the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, so Jonah was an actual real prophet. This is in Kings. Pastor Zeke brought this up last week. He was a, he was a pretty powerful prophet in Israel. Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That evil can be also tr- trouble. At the time this is going on, uh, Assyria had, had become a pretty big empire, but this was a time when, when there was a whole lot of unrest, and there was a possibility that they were going to actually die as a, as a, uh, as a nation. Um, this was before they, they became a great empire later. And so this was leading up to that. Verse 3, but Jonah rose fl- to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of Yahweh. So Jonah gets a message, go to Nineveh. I'm going to judge them. I, there's trouble going on. The, I have compassion for them. You're a prophet of God. I have a message for you. Jonah does what? He goes the complete opposite direction. So he goes to the port city of Joppa. We should have a slide on this. He goes down to the port city of Joppa. Do we have that slide? And this is actual, it's modern-day uh, Jaffa, right, side, right out of Tel Aviv. That's where this is, um, the, the port city of Jaffa today. This is where he goes. He goes down there, and, um, and take, a, take a look at the next slide. And he gets on a Phoenician ship. This is also that same, same uh, slide. He gets on a Phoenician ship. Keep going. Um, and this, they actually found a Phoenician ship from about the 14th century B.C. This is what it would have looked like. You can see the oars down there. They come up in the city. And you see the hold down the bottom where Jonah would have gone down to go to sleep. Go ahead to the next one. This thing was really stoutly built. It was built with a mortise and tenon joint. Very stoutly built. And so what kind of storm was it that would have made them think this thing was going to break apart? All right, I think, that, I think that's it. So uh, verse, verse 4. But Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the, that, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. So here they are. I mean, what kind of storm is this that you have seasoned fishermen who travel throughout all the world? Um, can you go back to the slide that shows uh, the trade routes? This, all, these are all the trade routes that these fishermen would have gone to. They had sailed throughout the, the, the Mediterranean and the known world. See that over there on the far uh, east, I'm oh, sorry, far west, Tingis. That's where they believe Tarshish is. A, a lot of scholars think that Tarshish is down there. So these were seasoned sailors. This is what they did for a living. They had ports all over the world. Joppa is over here. See where it says Tyre? It's right below Tyre. Uh, about 20, 30, maybe 60 miles below Tyre there. Um, and, and so this is where, uh, this is where uh, Nineveh gets, I mean, where, where Jonah gets on the ship and goes out and this, and this, this huge uh, storm breaks out. Now, 
where was Jonah trying to go? Show the next slide. Jonah was going all the way over there in the blue where it says ashore. That's where Nineveh is. That's where God wanted him to go. And he was trying to travel all the way out there to the west to Tarshish. Do you see what he's doing? He's going like, God can't get me here. Anybody ever feel like you can run from God? That's what he was trying to do. So here they are, the, the sailors, um, and they, they, they don't have a particular faith in Yahweh. They want any God to help, and they're crying out, help us, help us. So they cast lots, the lot falls on Jonah, and, and so they go to Jonah and they say this, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? Now, all of that would have been important to them because that would have told them who his God was. They're trying to figure out who's your God, what's going on here. And so, so uh, Jonah says, well, he said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the, may, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was f- fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down to us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. You ever watch a, uh, you know, a movie that, that, that when things are going bad at sea, they look for the Jonah? Have I heard that? He's a Jonah. He's a Jonah. We got we to gotta get rid of the Jonah. They're saying, what should we do to you? How can we please your God? How can we please your God? So Jonah says, well, it's simple. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great temp- tempest has come on you. But the men didn't want to do that. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to Yahweh, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Yahweh, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. And they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. So these men go from seeing God command the storms have you ever seen another picture where the Lord commands the storms? Who is this man who can speak in the storms or calm? They said to Jesus. And so they, they, they feared, they worshipped Yahweh. But then something happens that's really interesting. Verse 17, And Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here's my point. I have one point. Remember your faith. The world depends on it. Remember your faith. The world depends on it. Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Um, the, in the Hebrew, we don't know if it's a fish, is it a whale? It, it could be any. It just, it's a large sea creature. It's ambiguous. It doesn't really matter. A lot of people have asked this question. Did this really happen? Did this really happen? Now, there's, there's some technical answer to it, so we'll, go, we'll deal with the technical first. It is written in straightforward historical narrative, okay? Um, there's, there's a, if scholars will tell you this, um, there's an allegory, there's parable, there's fable. All of these things are in the Bible. Jonah is none of those. It's none of those. It's not written like fiction according to any other fiction in the Bible. It's too long, it's too complex, it's too historically detailed, it's too straightforward a biography and a narrative to be any of the above. 
It is not written like a, a fable, a story, an allegory. The author's portrayal, this is by D. Alexander, the author's portrayal of this most peculiar event is very low-key. It, it has certainly not been included in order to heighten the dramatic quality of the nature. This being so, why should the author have invented it if it did not really happen? There's nothing about this in the way that it's written in the genre of literature is that, that is there to say this is, a, this is a parable to teach you a lesson. So, did it, so, to deny that it happened is to presuppose that it couldn't happen, which is not evidence that it didn't happen. It's just an opinion. Everybody follow that. To deny that it happened is, not, is to presuppose that it couldn't, which is not evidence that it couldn't. It's simply an opinion. Another scholar puts it this way. It's hard to argue that the author invented the tale without presupposing the impossibility of the miraculous, which could be irreconcilable with Hebrew, Hebrew tradition. All right. So the book is told in a way that this really happened to Jonah, and it's told, um, this is an actual story. In fact, it's actually kind of a small part of the story. But Jesus makes something out of this. This becomes really important to Jesus. What did Jesus say? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, Jesus says this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. For the men of Jonah will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at judgment upon this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Who's, who's Jesus talking to? Who's he talking to in that passage? Who? The scribes and the Pharisees. Um, can I tell you what hits me about this more than anything else? Jesus is giving a message to the church. Who's he calling an adulterous and evil generation? Pharisees, scribes. This story, this story of Jesus, it's in, it's in Matthew 12, it's in Matthew 16, it's in, it's in Luke um, 11. He says, Jonah is a sign to people who ought to believe. What, what are the Pharisees and the scribes, who are they, what are they the keepers of? The scriptures, the covenants, the promises, everything God has done, the culture, everything God has done in and through them to be a light to the nations, they're the keepers of this. They're the keepers of this. And Jesus comes, stands in their midst. He does sign after sign after sign in front of them, in front of them, and what do they ask him? What sign are you going to give us? Do you see the irony of this? 
This isn't Jesus preaching to the Philistines or those in Tyre and Sidon or the Syrians. This is Jesus preaching to those who should be believers. He says, this sign of Jonah being in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. By the way, that's a Hebrewism. That's a Hebrewism that means he's gone to the underworld and come back. He said, that sign is the sign you're going to receive. And why is that the sign they're going to receive? Because they're not already believing what's right in front of their eyes. They're not already believing what is right, right in front of their eyes. What did Jonah do in the beginning of the book? What is the sign of Jonah? What is the sign of Jonah? Jonah had a mission to carry the word of God to a Gentile nation. He had a mission from God to carry life to a people who were dying. And what, why was he in the belly of the whale? We always talk about could this have happened. Why was he in there to begin with? Because he didn't want to carry out the mission. He didn't want to go where God wanted him to go. What is my point? Remember your faith because the world depends on it. Jonah had no problem with the supernatural. In fact, he came to be quite grateful for it. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and his Sadducees, and he says, you're an evil and adulterous generation. Why? Because you're not believing what is right in front of you. Okay, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. The death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to take the gospel to the end of the world, to the Gentile nations. That's the sign you're going to have. That's the sign you're going to have. There's a, y'all know this story. Many, you, if you haven't heard, well, maybe there's two people that haven't heard this story before. So for the two of you who haven't heard, especially in light of the storm last night, there was an individual who, who claimed uh, they believed in God and there was a flood coming. And as the flood was coming, they, they believed that God was going to save them out of that flood. And the next thing you know, an SUV pulls up in front of their house and they go, hey, flood's coming, hop in. They go, no, 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 God's going to save me, I'll be fine. And the SUV takes off. Meanwhile, the water comes, and they're, they're standing on the roof of their house. And, and, a, and a boat comes by and says, hey, jump in. I'll save you. I'll get, get you out of this. No, 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 no. Don't worry about it. God's going to save me. So the boat goes on. Now they're treading water, and they're in the water treading, and a helicopter comes over top of them. And they say, hey, grab the rope. And they say, no, 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 no. God's going to save me. And so the helicopter goes away. The person dies, and they're standing there at the gate. And they go, I, I, and they're standing at the gate wanting to come in. And, and the proverbial St. Peter says to him, says, uh, says, um, uh, what's, what's going on? Why are you here? He says, well, I, I thought God was going to save me. Why didn't God save me? He says, well, he sent you an SUV, a boat, and a helicopter. How much more did you want? The 
The irony of them asking for a sign is that there were boats, helicopters, and SUVs all around them. He's raising people from the dead. He's healing people. Uh, uh, um, uh, he's the, the sinners, tax collectors, the hated of society are becoming righteous individuals right in front of their eyes. John said this. He said, Jesus did, so, did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe in Je- that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were, were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. One Christian thinker put it this way is, our problem is not an evidence problem. Our problem is a moral problem. There's a fantastic book that's written by J.P. Moreland, a Christian philosopher, um, A Simple Guide to Experiencing Miracles. And I highly recommend this book uh, to go ahead and get a copy of it. J.P. Moreland's one of the top philosophers, uh, Christian philosophers, in, in the country, in the world, I would say. And in it, he tells a story. He says this. He says, in a moment of, of rare candor, an atheist philosopher, his name is Thomas Nagel, was speaking of the ideas that the mental realm, our thoughts and the like, is a fundamental feature of reality instead of matter alone. In other words, what he's saying is Thomas Nagel is talking about this whole concept that the mind is separate from the body, that there is the possibility of a non-material world. And that thought, the thought that the relation between the minor world is something fundamental makes people in this day and age nervous. He's talking about as an intellectual. This is Thomas Nagel talking. I believe this is one manifestation of a fear of religion, which has large and often pernicious consequences for modern intellectual life. He's saying, he's saying uh, that, that this concept that, that there's more to the world than just the physical causes this, this fear of religion. And he says this, I'm talking about something much deeper, namely the fear of religion itself. I speak from experience, being strongly subject subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true and am not uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Now, listen, I'm not saying that everyone who claims there is no God takes the same position as him. But what I am saying is this, guys. If we are the ones who are supposed to be carrying a faith about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about the sign of Jonah carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth, if we are the ones that are supposed to be embracing this kind of faith, a faith that is much rational as it is supernatural, a faith in where the word becomes flesh, if we're the ones that are supposed to be taking this and carrying this, And we don't do it, who's going to? How's that going to happen?
Why did Jesus call him evil and adulterous? Very simply, they forgot their faith. Is that in the Bible anywhere else? It is. This is the writer of Hebrews. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you. Take care who? It's not rhetorical. Take care who? Church people. Church people. Church people. Lest there be in lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, 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 if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For those, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. Jesus called them evil and adulterous. They stopped believing. They didn't, oh, they, they were still going to church. They were still calling themselves believers. They were still claiming to be believers. But no longer were they looking for the God of heaven to break into earth and to reveal himself supernaturally in a world that is falling and dying. They didn't care. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Show us. The world is crying for the church to be the church. Last November, on the 20, uh, just, just this past November, the British Library, they did a perspective lecture. It was, a, um, it was on Christian persecution. Uh, it was a charity called Open Doors. Anybody ever heard of Brother Andrew? Brother Andrew started back in 1955 carrying Bibles into communist countries. He went to where persecuted believers were. And he's got amazing testimonies and stories of how God would blind the eyes of guards as they were looking at hundreds of Bibles in his truck and, and, and let them right on through. And so this ministry seeks to, to, to help Christians who are persecuted all over the world today. Um, there was a speech given at this by a secular historian and scholar. This guy is a secular historian. His name's Tom Holland. And he gave this speech, Invisible Fire, Christianity in Post-Western World. Christianity in Post-Western World. If, uh, if you want to see this, um, you can find it on the Unbelievable podcast. Uh, it's Unbelievable by Justin Brierley. It's a podcast over in the U.K., you can get it on YouTube. You can watch the whole speech there. Christianity Day has a great article on the speech, um, reporting on the speech. So I've got the references. There you go. Um, this is what Holland says. He says, The church needs to embrace the suffering, 
humiliation and strangeness of the crucifixion as it would have appeared to the early believers. He said, what we believe is weird and strange. Well, Paul said the same thing. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. The Jews demand signs. Well, we just read that. The Greeks seek wisdom, right? Well, where's your rationality? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. But we, we, are, we have heard the crucifixion so much, it seems so natural to us in the ancient world to, to talk about your God was crucified. The Son of God being crucified, that would have been totally weird. I mean, what do you mean crucified? Crucified? What? Who would do that? Die the most humiliating death of a slave? What? The ancient world was about power. It was about conquer. If I, might makes right. Guess what? That's the modern world is too. Has anybody ever heard survival of the fittest? Well, what is it that flies right in the face of that? What flies right in the face of that is that every human being, every human being has equal value in the eyes of God. We are all created in the image of God. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter our status. It doesn't matter what our background is. There is no person who has higher significance and value than any other person on earth. And that is only understood through the cross. Why? Why? Because it is the victim who becomes the victor. The one considered the least, the one considered the lowest, the one who was crucified, the most shameful, Slave death, who becomes the hero. On that foundation, on that foundation, everything that we depend on for the flourishing of humanity has come forward. Listen to Holland. This is, this is him talking about how... Uh, this crucified Lord who rose from the dead has so culturally changed us and is the very thing this world needs for us to flourish. This is what he says. He says, we've become culturally desensitized to it. He says, this is what he's saying. He says, we need to capitalize on the spiritual and supernatural dimension of the Christian faith. Why? Because you don't have the message without the supernatural part. You don't have the message without the supernatural part. Rather than being sl slightly embarrassed about it and only talking about the kinds of things you'd hear on a liberal Democrat party political broadcast, the kind of thought for the day thing, I think that the churches have to lay claim to everything that is the weirdest, most countercultural, most peculiar. Don't dump all that stuff about angels. Major on that, he said. 
We, don't, we should not be sitting here trying to figure how do we defend if Jonah got swallowed by a whale. We should be asking why. And why is that the sign? He says it's crucial to maintain human rights. We must maintain Christian heritage. And you can't maintain Christian heritage if you don't maintain the supernatural. Uh, this quote, some of these quotes here, what the rise of China and other civilizational powers is doing to remind us is the concept of human rights is one that emerged in a very specific cultural conflict matrix, which is a Christian one. And therefore, if you want to believe in human rights, you have to believe. Did you hear what he said? He said, when you look at other countries who don't care about human rights, who will crush human rights in a, in a moment, who, who have no problem snuffing out life and taking life, you understand the only reason we have human rights in the world at all is because Christianity came forth. It went from death to burial to resurrection to out to the world. And because it was those who carried that message, the sign of Jonah to the world, we have entire uh, institutions on human rights. And if we, as the church, don't stand up and say, that is because of Christ, that is going to go away. And if we ignore and say, well, you know, we want the human rights part, we just don't want the supernatural part, you ignore the very thing that brought it about. Jesus either is and was buried was crucified for you, for me, for our neighbor, for the end of the earth, or he wasn't. He either rose from the dead or he didn't. And that will either change you and me or it won't. This is, again, a secular historian. It takes a leap of faith to believe that there are things called human rights just as much as it takes a leap of faith to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They're both beliefs. The fundamental core way that we define ourselves is based on our faith. Fundamental core way. Why would we run from it? Anybody heard this before? We hold these truths to be self-evident, not needing evidence that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There is no other worldview except the biblical worldview that could have produced that sentence. I'm not, that's not my words. This is words of scholars. There's no other worldview that could have produced that sentence. Are we embarrassed by it? Holland actually said this. We need to be reminded that our gut instincts are deeply, deeply rooted in this most culturally influential of all stories. It's the wellspring of it. He says, if we, it, it, he warns us as Christians, it, we need to de-westernize ourselves. He says, do you want to know how you de-westernize yourself? Don't be afraid of the strange part of your faith. 
That's how you de-westernize yourself. If we want to affect Christianity in this culture, then we need to bring it in its fullness. Not the four principles that will help someone. Jesus Christ died, crucified, buried, rose from the dead. Whose spirit wants to indwell you and indwell me and change our family, change our neighborhood, change our state, change our nation, change the nation on the other side of the sea. And that, I think, is where the sufferings of Christians in countries beyond the West can help. Whether you're a Christian or not. The spectacle spectacle of people willing to suffer and perhaps die for this story. I think it reaminates it in a sense of its primal strangeness. Have you forgotten your faith? Have you ever had a profound encounter with God to begin with? Are you embarrassed by your faith? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has so thoroughly ingrained our world. What is good, what is moral, what is just, what is merciful, what is upright, that all pours out of him. comes from the weirdness of the cross and the truth of the resurrection. Jesus says, the sign I have for a wicked and and adulterous generation is the sign of Jonah. It's like he was three days in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days in the belly of the earth. Don't apologize for it. If you believe it's true, why would you apologize? doesn't mean be arrogant and in somebody's face, because that's not the gospel either. It just means don't apologize. Remember your faith. The world depends on it. So we opened up our story, Jonas is running from God. Are you running from God? He was ignoring the signs God was giving him. Just like the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were ignoring the signs right in front of them, asking for a sign. How many of us are ignoring the signs around us and then asking him for a sign? You know, it's really fascinating. Two scholars I was reading from, but J.P. Moreland's one, Craig Keener was the other. Both of them point out the, the, the evidences we have in the scripture, which are are plentiful. God God is not seeking to defend himself. God is actually hiding himself and making enough of himself known. Now, why would he do that? Because he desires a people who want to walk with him. Because there's plenty of evidence. That doesn't mean there's not real questions. I encur- If anybody encourages questions, I encourage real questions. I love when people have real questions. doesn't mean there's not a real searching. 
But when the end of the day comes, either Jesus rose or he didn't. Either this is here by something outside of us or it isn't. And though we may not fully understand all the mysteries of how it all works together, we can know him. He's not asking us to understand how it all comes together. He's asking us, do we know him? What he desires is a relationship. He wants a people who want to build his kingdom. Or have you just put yourself asleep? There's a storm going on around us right now. How many of us are in the bottom of a ship just sleeping? How many of us know God has a mission? But I'm going to sleep. Let me ask you, what will it take? Will it take a giant fish? Is that what will it take? Will it take a giant fish? Well, let me tell you, he's already given you a giant fish. I'll give no other sign than what I've given. Look to Jesus. He is the giant fish. He went to the belly of death. He was cast out of the deep. And he's transformed the world. He wants us to be a part of that. You matter, you count. This is what Jesus told the church at Sardis. I'm going to close with these two scriptures. We'll close right now. And that doesn't mean 30 more minutes, by the way. Two scriptures. Number one, person. This is Revelation chapter 3. Jesus was talking to Sardis. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you won't know the hour that I will come against you. Guys, that's not a message to the world. That's not a message to the world. That's a message to the church. Is there grace of God abundantly flowing for us every moment? Yes. He desires us to come running to it, not from it. Here's the last scripture. Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would he be ashamed? Because it's weird. I'm not ashamed, Paul says. I'm not going to be ashamed. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. We want a just world. We want a right world. We want a merciful world. We want a world where there's the true, the good, and the beautiful. That is found in one place and one place only. It's at the cross is where it all conversions. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the power of God for salvation. For in it, 
The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Remember your faith. The world depends on it. Thank you.